Good evening and welcome. How are you tonight? Uh, we are in Isaiah 62 tonight. And as you turn there, join me in prayer as well. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful to know you, the true and the living God. Lord, we thank you for an opportunity once again to lift your name in worship. Lord, to praise you, to, to give you thanks. Lord, to, to honor you, Lord, with our lips and with our lives. Lord, we were singing, Lord, uh, one of the lyrics was about overcoming. And dear Lord, it said that uh, we have overcome our great adversary by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, and the fact that we loved not our lives, Lord, unto death. Lord, we thank you that you have, Lord, uh, laid down your life for us. We gather tonight to thank you for that. We also, Lord, as we... Um, come to sing, worship, and study. Uh, we come to say thank you. Thank you for this great gift of redemption. Uh, to know that, Lord, our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Uh, to know that, Lord, you will never leave us nor forsake us. That, Lord, you are there for us at all times. Father, your care for us is so awesomely comprehensive. And for that, Lord, we just continue to say thank you and praise your name. And I thank you for those that are here tonight. And I pray that as we, Lord, uh, look into your word, that you would speak, Lord, into our lives. We thank you, Lord, that your word is truth. We thank you that it's alive. And, Lord, how it reaches down, Lord, surgically, Lord, uh, into our lives, into our hearts and minds. It's like a flashlight, Lord. It illuminates things, Lord, that might otherwise be darkened by this world. And so, Father, we thank you for this time that we have tonight. And, Lord, we just commit it to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, as we come to chapter 62, uh, we're reminded, uh, you know, last week we looked at 61, and it was the very beginning, the very introduction uh, to the ministry of Jesus, when you look at verses 1 and 2, uh, when he spoke that uh, in the uh, uh, synagogue there in Nazareth. But I like what it says also, too, in verse 3, uh, the end of verse 2 into 3, to comfort all who mourn, and to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness or depression, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And even though Zion, when you, uh, that's one of the, the uh, terms that we have recognizing, you know, the Jewish people, Jerusalem, um, you know, the work that uh, God is, is yet to do there in the hearts and lives of his people. Uh, and when we talk here about Zion, it's not just in a sense we're just focused on them in a sense, we're also too focused on, uh, when you think about the fulfillment of Zion, that also too uh, speaks of what God does in this age of grace. Um, you know, as we look forward, uh, you know, when, if, you know, if we were saints, you know, 
maybe 2,500 years ago. Uh, we couldn't even imagine the church. Uh, but God had that, you know, God had that, you know, um, so embedded, you know, in his plan and his purpose. And little did uh, God's people realize. Um, and even, even their rejection of Messiah uh, falls into God's plan. Uh, so hard to figure out, you know, God, you know, the way God does things and his sovereignty and his purpose. But that's why Paul says in Romans 8, 28, he works all things to the good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We've got to believe that. I, I know theologically we believe it, but do we believe it when things are a mess? Do we believe it when things have just sort of gotten out of control, you know, in our life and in our own particular experience? That not just, you know, because sometimes our theology says this, once in a while things work out to the good for me, you know, or, or, or some things work to the good. No, all things. And even though that sometimes things that they may be very hard, difficult, even tragic, that God has a way of bringing beauty out of ashes. And for our mourning, he gives us, man, the oil of joy. And in, in one of the words, you know, in, in the older version of the Holy Spirit identifying him is who? The comforter. And there's no comfort like the Holy Spirit. Uh, comforting us and ministering to us. And he's always doing that. He's, he's always consoling, always comforting, you know, always encouraging in, in different ways. So as we come here to chapter 62, uh, it speaks of the fact that, you know, that the redemption of Zion is on the hold. But the commission now is to the church, the commission for you and I, world missions evangelism. It's been given to us this great opportunity uh, to take advantage of, as, you know, as Paul speaks about in Romans 9, 10, 11, uh, Israel has been set aside for a time. They're on the shelf for a while. Uh, God is not finished with them. That's, you know, the, uh, when we look at a, uh, an opening uh, verse like this, for Zion's sake, I will uh, not hold my peace. How it's so emphatic that God has got a future plan for Jerusalem. And he contradicts these whole ideas of replacement theology, uh, that God has finished with them. And you know, one of the problems that, you know one of the problems with that theology? If God has finished with them, what about us? Okay? What about us when we fail? What about us when we, you know, miss the mark and uh, not live up to the, you know, to the call that we have and so forth? Uh, you know, God is wonderfully faithful. He's faithful to his promises. That's why we need to know the word of God. Amen? We need to know his word. We need to have it written on our hearts in a sense. We need to meditate, you know, on his promises. Um, uh, he knows how much we're going to need them at a certain particular point in time. And that's why sometimes, you know, you'll feel uh, impressed to highlight or underline or make a notation there in a certain vo verse of Scripture. And I, if you look at my Bible, many of my Bibles are so marked up. I'm a highlighter, okay? Uh, I like to highlight things, uh, and there's so many, sometimes I've, I've, I have to just go to a new Bible completely because everything's yellow, you know, uh, type of thing. But uh, one thing I like about an old Bible is you can find anything you want in your old Bible. You just kind of like, you, you know where to exactly open the page, you know where it is on the page, and that sort of thing. And we need to have that kind of familiarity, you know, with our Bible. And that's why I always say, get a good Bible, you know. Uh, you know, don't buy one of those two ninety eight two ninety eight dollar you know Bibles. Uh, buy a good one. Buy a good one that you like the font, you like the feel of it, you like the leather, you know, you like the you know just the uh, um, 
you know, the size of the font and all that sort of thing, the format of it, I think that's important. The word of God is important to us. So for Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace, God says. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest. Again, he will not rest. There's an, just an emphasis here until his, faith, his, his promise is fulfilled for his people. Even as we speak, he's working to do that. And I like what Paul said over in first, uh, uh, first chapter of uh, Philippians, chapter 1, verse 6. He said he was very confident of this thing, you know, that basically God, um, you know, he'll complete that good work that he has done in our lives. That's a great promise to hold on to because sometimes we, you know, we give up on people, don't we? we sometimes you see somebody make such a U-turn. Um, you know, from God and the things of God. And someone can walk away, you know, from the Lord for a certain period of time. But you know what? If they belong to Jesus, man, he is going to fulfill his purpose, you know, in their life. And you can be confident of that. And you can be confident in your own life, no matter where you might find yourself. Sometimes it seems like our spiritual life is on hold. Uh, I've had different, I've had that experience different times within my life where it just seemed like it was on hold. Uh, but it, what it was, was a time of preparation. Uh, God, you know, he doesn't waste anything. Uh, he works at both ends against the middle. He's always working uh, either preparation, uh, you know, for something ahead, or maybe it's just a time of respite to draw close, you know, to spend time with him, to get to know him uh, in a better way. He says, until her righteousness goes forth as the brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. And, of course, that will happen, you know, when the Lord comes. Um, you know, no one, we know this, no one, you know, the Bible tells us no one can be righteous by self-effort. The Bible clearly tells us our righteousness is imputed. It's given to us. It's freely, wonderfully given to us. You know, Paul um, writes this in, in Romans chapter 3. You don't have to turn there, but uh, looking at verses 20 and 21, he says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified by his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And of course, that was a mistake Israel made. They, they tried to be righteous according to the letter of the law, but there really, really wasn't any empowering by the Spirit. And, uh, and we can't do it. We cannot accomplish righteousness. I think a lot of times we have to learn this. Uh, do you remember when you were a new Christian, you try to perfect yourself? Do you remember that? I remember it for me. And... Uh, and, you know, you can get so hypercritical and self-righteous and judgmental, you know, about other people because they're not living up. You know, after all, you know, when you first get saved, you think you, you think you walk on water, you know, type of thing. And you expect everyone else, you know, especially in your household. And, uh, and I'll tell you what, when you're a new believer, sometimes you can really make people miserable uh, because you're, you know, sometimes put people under this kind of a scrutiny. Uh, but it's imputed to us. It's, it's wonderfully given to us. And Paul's saying that the, the law, just by the, the, all the law does is point out sin. Okay? That's all it does. It doesn't empower us. It just points out what sin is uh, and when we commit it. But then he says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in, Christ, in Jesus, Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely, freely by his grace through the redemption that comes to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, so simple, isn't it? The right, just believe. Just believe and receive. It's just given. It's, it's so wonderfully imputed. And like we were talking about Sunday, you know, guys like... Uh, 
Jeffrey Dahmer, uh, David Berkowitz, Moses. These were all people that murdered somebody. Uh, we see that taking place in the life of Saul. And Saul was murdering. He had papers. He had such a passion to, to imprison Christians and to tear the church apart. And look at the righteousness of God that was just imparted to him because he met Jesus Christ on that road into Damascus. And, and he just opened up his life. And that's what I love about the Lord because he is the God of new beginnings. And, and he is, you know, sometimes when you look at somebody's testimony, you know, sometimes you look at someone's life, you know, how can, how can God ever save somebody like that, you know, kind of thing. But how much glory God receives when, when there is that, you know, horrible testimony and uh, some of the things that, you know, that, uh, that, that, you know, that people might do, you know, in their life before Christ. And that's why I've said before, in the flesh, man, we're capable of anything. I mean, the fact is, you know, I didn't murder anybody. I, I thought about it a few times, but I, 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 never, I never did it. That doesn't, you know, that doesn't make me righteous. I can't really, you know, look down on somebody that maybe, you know, one of the things that uh, I've had to, um, to uh, talk to some guys about at different times, you know, Vietnam veterans, uh, because of maybe some um, terrible thing they did, some atrocity. And, and I've heard this expression, well, God will never forgive me. And uh, that, that's, I understand, you understand that, don't we? We, we, we know that because, uh, you know, what sin can do and how it can warp someone and think, man, I cannot be forgiven. This was such, you know, you don't know what I did kind of a thing. And, and that's one of the things that I think just blew the mind of the Apostle Paul, that knowing what he did and, and the Lord freely forgave him and loved him. The Gentiles, verse 2, shall see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Uh, you know, the, the connotation of a of new name is simply this. It speaks of a new character, just a new nature you know, that we have. And it's in interesting how the Lord renamed all his apostles, all his disciples. He renamed them all. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're dealing with Saul now at the beginning of his conversion. He's still Saul, but he's going to get another new name. He's going to get a, a new name, and that is, that is Paul. We'll talk about that when we get to that. But again, the Bible even tells us over in Revelation 2 and 3 that we are going to get a new name. Uh, do you ever think about that? I, I remember uh, many years ago, my pastor was away, um, and uh, he was away for a very long fast. And I remember when he came back, and... and and, and he told me, he says, you know, the Lord gave me my new name. And I said, well, what is it? He said, I can't tell you. <laughs> How you like that? Debate me like that, I'm telling you. And, uh, but uh, I, I, that might happen for somebody, you know. The Lord gave them their new You're going to get a new name. And uh, it's going to be, and, and the thing that's interesting, that, did you ever notice that when you really like somebody, you give them a pet name? Did you ever notice that? When you give them this pet name? Um, in some kind of way, and it's and it's just basically done. It's it's done out. It's it's done of uh, affection, you know that that you love them, and and maybe you don't use their full proper name, and you maybe hyphenated or you you know some other um, you know name. Like for instance, uh, uh, usually for Margie, I'm calling her Honey, a Hun, you know, kind of a thing, and. Uh, 
And you know, we have you know maybe sometimes a, a you know a, a new name, a, sh- a short name for our kids or whatever, and it's and it's an affectionate kind of a thing, and it's just you know reminding us of not only our new nature but how much the Lord He loves us. He said, "You shall also." Uh, be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord, a royal diadem, diadem in the hand of your God. Now, he's speaking here, the subject here that in verse 3 is basically uh, Jerusalem and the Jewish people. Uh, and again, a crown or a diadem basically glorifies one who possesses it, okay? So basically, our glory is really in his glory, isn't it? That's our glory. You know, our glory is the fact that we know him, we glorify him, we honor him. You know, the Bible speaks about, you know, uh, um, you know, Paul said, I'll boast in nothing but the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, our boast, you know, uh, our pride in a sense, it's in him. You know, it's in him. You know, we glory in him. We, we praise him. We thank him. And you shall no longer be termed forsaken. Now, Israel thought they were forsaken. Over in chapter, just a few chapters back in 49, when we were there, in verses 14 through 16, uh, Isaiah says this uh, about uh, the nation. He said, But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me, and my Lord has forgotten me. And, and so the Lord says, Can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. So just an assurance there you know, to God's people there, to the Jews through Isaiah from the Lord, that he hadn't forgotten them, even though, you know, and I think sometimes we think that, don't we? Do you ever think that, you know, it's like, well, the Lord, man, I did it again. I did it again. God's done with me kind of a thing. And we have those kind of situations and instances in our Christian life where we think, you know, God can't forgive that because you know why? I did it too many times, you know. Do you ever think about that? You know, maybe something you did over and over and over again, and it's like, oh man, grace is gone. The grace is gone. He will he he's done with me now. Yeah, I'm saved and going to heaven, but man, he ain't going to use me for anything anymore. And then you know, in in process of time, you find out that he hasn't forsaken you. That he's got a plan, a purpose. Uh, you're forgiven. It gives you a new opportunity, a new beginning. The amazing grace and love of our God. Uh, and, and again, when you think about who was forsaken, it was Jesus. He was forsaken for us. Psalm 22.1, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And of course, one of the seven sayings uh, there on the cross. So you shall no longer be termed forsaken, nor shall your land anymore be, be termed uh, desolate. And again, he, what he's saying to them, and, and, and this is the beautiful thing about the Lord you're, no more de- you're, you're not going to be any more defined by your past. You know, people, you, you do certain sins. And in their minds, you know, you're no good. You, you failed. You, you failed their standard of righteousness. And I think sometimes people, you know, will, will kind of, you know, freeze frame you. Maybe if somebody has ever done something to you, and maybe it's another believer, and you don't see that person for years. And, and all the while, you see them in that light. You see them in that light every time you think of them 
or their name is mentioned, man, you're struggling. You're, you're something kind of all of a sudden you feel that visceral effect, you know, within your stomach and so forth when you think about that person. Or you think, you know, oh, boy, I'd like to give them. I wish they were here right now. I'd just like to give them a piece of my mind. But then you meet them later, and you know what? God's changed them. They've been transformed. They walk up and they give you a big hug and say, oh, man, last time I'm sorry, forgive me, brother, or whatever the case may be. And, you know, it, it, and that's the grace of God, isn't it? Amen. That's why be careful. Be careful. So, I, you know, huh. I've heard a number of things about a certain pastor. And I've heard it from different people. Over the years. And I kind of wondered if someone would come up and ask me about that particular pastor. Because perhaps maybe something happened to that individual in that ministry. And I've had that little scenario in my mind. And I would never, I would not say what I heard and what I had believed to be true. Because you know what? That man may have repented. That person may have repented. And that's why sometimes, you know what? You just got to let it go. You got you to you 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 know, set that. Because when you set that person free, you set yourself free. But we get stuck sometimes in a, in a bitterness. And man, that can go on for a very long, long time. Go over decades. It's amazing sometimes there'll be people on their deathbed because of something that happened to them 50 years ago. They can't get over it. But man, we can confess it. We can give it to the Lord. And, and be careful that you never define someone by their past. Because the grace of God sets us free. He forgives us. And that's why you see Isaiah here speaking about Zion and about the Jewish people at times as if, the, you know, they never, they never failed. <laughs> they never come short. He says, you shall be called Hepzibah. And, and that's a Hebrew word, basically, for my delight is in her. <laughs> Now, at times, Israel's likened to, you know, the masculine, but at times also, too, it's his wife. And God is saying about them, my delight, my delight is in her. And, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, maybe a month ago or something like that, but the word delight came up uh, be, before. And it's basically when the will is fully inclined towards someone to be affectionate and finding pleasure in them. That's what it means to delight in something or just to delight in someone, some other person. You delight. It's like, you know, you see that person. It's like, oh, you know, so good to see you. Let's sit down and have a cup of coffee and let's talk or that, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, and, and God is saying that. And I, I, think the, I think the question really for us is, do we delight in him? Do we delight in him? Is our heart inclined you know, in that kind of a way, an affectionate kind of a way, where maybe when we steal away and have some quiet time with the Lord and open our Bible, oh, Lord, it's so good to be alone, be with you. <laughs> it 
He says, my delight, my delight is in her. His, his delight is in us. His delight is in the church today. This is our age. This is our time. The, the time that Isaiah is speaking about here, it's future for Israel. They're going to have their time. We're going to see it. It's going to be awesome. But folks, this is our time. This is our time to delight in him, to enjoy him. Oh, be careful that the well of your life doesn't get poisoned by all that's going on in our culture. There's always something out there, isn't it, to just kind of distract us? Something going on in the world, something politically, something culturally, you know, something medically. <laughs> the flu that never goes away. For the Lord delights in you, he says, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a virgin, so shall your sons marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. And so, you know, when you think about, you know, on earth, you know, marriage is the closest analogy that we have in our relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, he will not forsake his bride like men do, you know, over in chapter, was it chapter 54? If you remember when we were there, it's in verses 4 through 6. Uh, he's saying to them, do not fear, for you will not be ashamed. Um, neither be disgraced, for you will not be put to shame. For you will forget the shame of your youth. You will not remember the reproach of your widowhood anymore. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. For the Lord has called you like a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit. And like a youthful wife when you were refused, says your God. And so again, you know, God's grace, God's love for his people. And maybe perhaps as we read that, that may even speak, you know, of your particular situation, what may be going on in your life to realize that you're married to the Lord. That's, that's the, that's the he's a friend that sticks closer than a brother and a sister. Um, you know, he's a friend that sticks closer to us than all the, the other relationships in life, and we have to remember that. You know, chapter 61, verse 10, uh, also, too, was a, a, a reference there where he speaks of marriage. And, and in Ephesians, marriage is revealed as a mystery that reveals a special relationship that you and I have with Jesus. Over in... Uh, Let's see, over in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, I thought I had this marked, I guess I didn't, Ephesians chapter 3, and in verses 8 and 9, he says, uh, he speaks about these, these unsearchable riches of Christ, we kind of, uh, we've been talking about that, but again, as this here um, begins to unfold, you know, um, he begins to unfold this mystery um, in chapters 3, 8, and 9. And he says here in verse 9 that we have this, this, uh, this fellowship, you know, this mystery and this fellowship that we have with him uh, from the beginning of the ages, being hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. And then over in verses 17 uh, through 19 here, uh, he speaks about this relationship and the love that's in this relationship. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, through or through faith. 
um, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, length, and the depth, and the height, and to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. How can you know something that surpasses knowledge? You know it in experience. Even though you don't have a, a full apprehension of it, we don't. We've, we've tasted of his love. That, that, that's a beautiful thing. That's what I think, in a sense, we, we, we looked at the conversion of, of uh, Saul on Damascus Road. And I think, you know, when the Lord, you know, when, when he said, Who are you, Lord? Yeah, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. I, I think he said that with the effulgence of all the love that, could, that, that it could be said. That's what I think, you know, touched the life of Saul on the road that day. There's something so wonderful about the love and the kindness and the grace of God that it actually brings us time and time again to a place of repentance, to a place of brokenness. And there really, a marriage cannot really be a full marriage until there's love there. And it's got to be the love of Christ because that's the perfect picture. Marriage is the perfect picture, the most perfect picture on earth of our relationship with, with God, our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He says here, to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then over in chapter 5, he defines it all the more in, in this relationship, this marriage relationship, uh, 22 through actually through 32. And again, what he's saying here is we're seeing this mystery, this, this fellowship, this mystery that, of fellowship with God. We're seeing it displayed in marriage. That's why, you know, anytime I get a chance to do a, um, a, a wedding, I always bring that out. It is that, that two people can stay together and continue to love one another over the course of years and over the course of their life. Man, that's a mystery. That's an incredible mystery that it, yeah. <laughs> it, it demonstrates the grace of God. That's why you're laughing, because you know. <laughs> and that's why he says down in verse uh, Verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So we're over verse 6. I like verse 6 in uh, uh, chapter 62. It's always been one that I've always uh, referred to. I think I have it highlighted in most of my Bibles. And the watchmen here of verse 6 were the spiritual leaders. They, they were the individuals who basically, they fell asleep. And remember Isaiah spoke to them over in chapter 6, a few chapters ago, chapter, uh, chapter 56, verse 11, um, or 9 through 11, when he said, or 9 through 12, actually. Uh, when he's speaking to these leaders, he says, All you beasts of the field come to devour. Now he's speaking here to the nations. Come and devour my vintage because of the sin, the disobedience, uh, the obstinance of, of God's people from the leadership all the way down. And remember over in chapter 1 or 2, remember he said when he looked at, uh, you know, he looked at his people, he said, he said, you know, the whole head, the whole body is sick. So it wasn't just in a sense the leadership, but that's one thing that happens. Whatever the leadership becomes corrupt in a nation, it has a filtering down, a trickle down effect into the culture. And that's why the, 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 you know, the, the, the political leadership, um, the media, 
as they basically dole out the news and so forth. They basically control, you know, the narrative. They form and shape the culture. That's why it's so important uh, for you and I to not allow that cult. And that's why it's, you know, uh, one of the things I said, and I've said this more than once, that one of the things that's really been detrimental to our culture is a 24-hour news cycle. We don't need to hear it that much. That's too much information. And it's negative. It's negative. And, and it has a way of just creating just, a, just a, an, an, an angst. And we have to be very careful. We, we, have to, you know, we have to really withdraw ourselves from that because that's part of the culture. And it's Satan's clever way to get us thinking, to get us angry or upset you know, at what's taking place within our nation. That's why Paul said, the scripture says, we are citizens of another kingdom. Yeah, we want to be good citizens here, but we want to be better citizens of that kingdom because that's the future coming kingdom. And that's what we're to be busy about our father's business doing is announcing that coming kingdom. Anyway, uh, 56.10 says, his watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yes, they are greedy dogs, which can never have enough. They, and they are shepherds who cannot understand. They all look to their own way. Everyone for, for his own gain and from his own territory, you know, from his property or whatever. Um, and come say, I will, uh, one says, I'll bring wine. We will fill ourselves with a toxicating drink. Tomorrow will be as today and much more abundant. That was the leadership of the nation. Nation. Now, as we come to verse 6, <clears throat> you know, I believe that the watchmen of this culture and this society are the leaders, very definitely. You know, those individuals that are put in, into a place, you know, of, of leadership. There's political watchmen, but there's also, too, for the church, there's spiritual watchmen. And I think, I think it's also those who have taken up the mantle to pray. Prayer is important. Prayer is so absolutely vital. It, 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 it gives us, you know, insight. It gives us a closeness to the Lord. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. And it says in one of the prophets, he reveals his secrets to the prophets. And I believe that when we draw close to the Lord in prayer, that he whispers his secrets to us. He gives us insights that we would not have uh, in any other way. So I believe watchmen are not only leaders, but also I believe those who pray, those who intercede. I have set watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem, and they shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord, do not keep silent. <laughs> Give him no rest till he establishes, till he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. So I think also, too, the Holy Spirit is reminding your pastors and leaders their responsibility to be warning people of what's going to take place. That's what prophecy does. That's what Isaiah is doing. He, he's warning us of what's taking place. How many times do we read in the Scripture, and it's almost like a template that fits over America? And I'm not the only one that said this, and I, and I forget who said it. Somebody with much more authority than me. A number of people said it. America's done for. It's over. The experiment's over. 
that may seem harsh, but it's true. We need to be looking to heaven. We need to keep our focus on the Lord. Don't, don't put all your eggs in the basket of this, this, this culture, this society, this material realm. It's a house of cards. You know, John tells us, you know, that the world and the lust thereof, the desires of it, is passing away. There's another kingdom coming, and, it's, and I, I don't know, I have a sense it's coming quickly. This one here is fading very, very quickly. And this is the best, this is the best culture and society, uh, this democracy that the world has ever seen. There, there hasn't been any nation that's ever had the privilege and the blessings and the opportunity and the freedom of America. But it's been abused. It's been abused. Uh, America, in a collective kind of a sense, it's thumbed its nose at God. I'm not talking about us, per se, but the culture. And I think Isaiah is saying here to leadership within the church and God's people, there needs to be apt warning about what's coming down, what's taking place. Give him no rest till he establishes, till he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Now, of course, that's going to take place when at the second coming, right? The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by the arm of his strength, surely I will no longer give your grain as food to your enemies. And he does this. God in his sovereignty, he does this with nations. He does it with individuals. He allows the enemy to exploit them and rob them. I forget what minor prophet it was, but he was talking about uh, they were back, there. it was exiles back in the land. Um, I don't know if it might have been Haggai, not really sure. But they're back in the land, and instead of, instead of building the temple, okay, and the work of God, were, the prophet mentions, you're all worried about your own house. And God says, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put a hole in your bag. You know what that is? He's going to touch their economy, their personal economy, to get their attention. You know, God has ways. He, has, he is the leader of the Heavenly Ways and Means Committee, okay? <laughs> and he has ways to get our attention. But what's important is those kind of I've, I've watched sometimes, I, you know, as a pastor, I'm an overseer. And sometimes I watch folks. And man, God, and I can see where God is trying to get their attention, and they're just blind to it. And if I were to say anything, I'd be critical. <laughs> so God says, I'm not, no longer am I going to give your grain away as food for your enemies. The sons and the sons of the foreigners shall not drink your new wine. When you think about America tonight, we are the world's debtor nation. $28 trillion in debt. You know, we were the creditor nation right after World War II in the 1940s, late 40s and 1950s. We were giving money. We, were, we, we rebuilt Europe. We rebuilt Japan. Japan. 
But it's interesting, over the last 30, 40 years, there's been a transfer of wealth to the Arab nations. There's been a transfer of wealth to China. You know, the funny thing is, too, you know, we get mad all we want at, you know, at, at, at China. You know, they got all our money now. <laughs> and we didn't realize when, you know, in, back in the 80s, and some of these big companies like, you know, Xerox over here and, and uh, Kodak start shipping out jobs to Asia. And you know what? We were all happy. You know why? We were getting cheap goods, inexpensive goods. <laughs> we can't complain. Can't, can't complain about the loss of industry in our country. We, we've done it to ourselves. But those who have gathered it shall eat it and praise the Lord. Those who have brought it together shall drink it in my holy courts. And, you know, no matter how educated and smart, you know, people may be, you know, God has the final word about our economy. And that's why the Bible says it's important. You know what? Personally speaking, you know, we give to him. We give back to him a portion of what he gives to us. Man, God's been generous to us. He, he has been so wonderfully good, you know, to us. And as we do that, we, we, we thank him. Now, in verse 10, what he's saying here, to, he's speaking to the nation, to, to Israel here, that, that they, as they turn to the Lord, God is basically, basically saying to them, come through the door. Remember Jesus said in John chapter 10, I am the door. I am the door to the sheepfold. And some translations translate this, I am the gate. That's, that's, that's an accurate translation as well. And that's what Isaiah is saying here to his people. Because the door would come, the gate would come in the ministry of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, it's interesting, when the gospel is presented to someone, that door, it's like God just opens the door. He just opens the door and he invites someone. The Lord, you know what the Lord is always saying? Come unto me. Come unto me, all you, you're, you're heavy laden, you're burdened, you're depressed, you're struggling. Come to me, and I'll give you rest. He says, go through, go through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway. Now, this was practiced in antiquity. Whenever a king, a governor, a dignitary would ever come to visit, they'd fix all the highways. Because they wanted him to be welcomed. They wanted him to feel safe and secure, you know, in their country. You know, they probably fixed up their villages and their towns and all that sort of thing, uh, you know, just as a, as a sort of a welcome to the, you know, whoever the governor was or the king or some important figure and so forth. And so he's saying here, you know, build up the highway, take out the stones, lift up a banner for the people. And the beautiful thing that I see here is that when anybody is ever moving toward the Lord, you know what he does? And you know when it speaks about taking the stones out? That, that's where you get the idea of a stumbling stone. Uh, Margie and I were walking um, over in Casey Park. You know where we have the, we have the, uh, the picnic? And there, there's some trails uh, that go around to the body of water, and there's some high points there. But I've never seen so many stones sticking up out of the path. It's just, it, it, if you, you cannot enjoy the scenery whatsoever. You've got to constantly watch your, where you're walking. Are you going to stub your toe? Are you going to trip and fall down into the water? Um, and so what he's saying here is that 
you know, because of his grace, when someone begins to just move in his direction, he's working to pull the stones out. He's, he's working to make a road. That's why it says, he says, I, I, I make a way in the wilderness. That, that's the beautiful thing. You know, sometimes we, we look at how we came to Christ and looks like, it looked like so happenstance or coincidental. No, 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 no. He was there working. He was there working. He sent the right people. He created the right circumstances and opportunities. When I look about, I look at when the gospel came to me, you know what? Even though I struggled with it, it he made it so easy. He made it so easy. He surrounded me by people that love me and, and were caring about me and, and talking to me about Jesus. And, uh, and, of course, I didn't appreciate that then, okay? I mean, I was thinking all they want to do is, you know, convert me. You know, I'm a Catholic. Leave me alone, you know, kind of a thing. And, and, but they loved me, and they cared about me. And I look back, Lord, you made it so easy and wonderful to get saved. And he does that today. You, you, you and I will be a part of that process in maybe somebody's life, you know, just, you know, praying for them, you know, reaching out, helping them in some, you know, some uh, kind of way, some kind of situation. So take out the stones, lift up a banner for the peoples. Indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world. And so here, basically what he's saying here is this is the gospel bring, being proclaimed throughout this age. And, uh, and what we have, it leads right in uh, to the coming of the Lord also uh, part B of, of verse 11. So indeed, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the world, say to the daughter of Zion, surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him. And you know, I like that because you know what? You know what the reward is? Him. <laughs> He's the reward. Knowing him, experiencing him. Not just some thing, some trinket. It's him. It's his presence. He says, he says, behold, I'm with you to the end of the age. His presence in our life. Man, what a treasure. What, what an incredible treasure. That, that he would take residence, you know, within us. With all of our issues. You know, with our old nature. <laughs> what love. So say to the daughter of Zion, surely your salvation is coming. Behold, his reward is with him and his work before him. They shall call them the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. So sought out, you know, by the Lord. You know, as I was reflecting, you know, you know on the, uh, the nation of Israel, you know, the Jewish people, you know, we are enjoying their Savior. We are enjoying their Messiah. Uh, and I mean, nationally speaking, certainly there are, there are many Jewish people that are saved. And, but nationally speaking, we, we, we are enjoying you know, their Messiah. And, uh, and the scripture looks forward to their response and their reaction when he comes. And you know what? We're going to be there. We're going to be with the Lord. And I think, I think it's going to be just so incredibly touching that it might just bring tears you know, to our, our glorified eyes as we just see God's people just, you know, rescued and, and rejoicing and, and, uh, and just totally, you know, almost in an unbelievable kind of way. Yes, it was Jesus. 
And, you know, it's, it's interesting, too. Um, Joe Foch uh, shares a story that when he was in Israel, they're on the Mount of Olives and they're coming down. If you've ever been there, uh, we do some teachings up on the Mount of Olives looking across the Kidron Valley and into the old city, the, the wall and so forth. And then we walk down and there's a brick road where you kind of walk winding down um, and it goes down into uh, Gethsemane and the garden and so forth. And, and uh, Joe said he was walking down there with the church and they're moving from one, you know, one site to another. And, uh, and some uh, basically Hasidic you know, looking Jew said, hey, come over here. And uh, apparently he saw that Joe was a pastor and he was probably teaching, whatever the case may be. And he said, uh, I just, he said, you know, I believe, I believe in Jesus, you know, and, and here he is, right, you know, here he is. Um, I remember uh, we were there uh, for a pastor's tour back around 2000, something like that. And, um, and uh, Victor Smaja, who was a pastor there, um, his son, Sammy Smaja, is um, the, uh, he's the head of one of the tour companies over there. But Victor brought us all in, and I remember he gave us um, by, uh, I forget, uh, David, David uh, gave us a, 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 a copy, commentary copy of the, of the book of Zechariah by David. I can't think of his last name. But anyway, he was sharing. And I asked him afterwards, I said, well, how many, how many Jewish people, and this was, you know, this was probably 20 years ago, uh, you know, are saved? How many believers are there you know, within Israel proper. He said, well, right now, it's been growing lately. Right now, it's about 15,000. And I would imagine since then, it's probably doubled. It's probably doubled. You know, God's got his people. You know, God, God is saving. He's preparing his people. Uh, his, you know, he's preparing his nation to receive him. And he does that by saving, you know, people within that nation, just like, in a sense, we're a witness. We, you, you and I may be the only witness to those people that you know. You're, you're the gospel. You're the gospel. And, and we need to pray. Lord, give us opportunity. Lord, help us, Lord, to speak. <laughs> to speak the truth, you know, you know, to our culture, to our society, to those that we love, those that we know. Uh, over in Zechariah, in chapter 12, verses 8 through 14, it said, In that day, of course, that's only looking forward. We see that phrase many different times in the prophets. In that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The one who is feeble among them in that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, and like an angel of the Lord before them. And it shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And now notice verse 10. I will pour on the house of David, and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. Now notice this. They will look on me, whom they have pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for his firstborn. And in that day, there shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem. It's going to be a mourning of repentance and brokenness. Because why? They have found the Savior. And there's something wonderful about when you mourn like that. There's something beautiful about the crying. Because it's almost like a cleansing. It's almost like a wonderful cleansing that, that God has wrought. And it's like a fountain within your heart. 
and and you and you don't you, 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 you you're not afraid to do it you 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 just you'll do it in front of people because God's doing it in your life you're, you're having it you're having a moment these they are having a moment with the Lord and now we're gonna we're gonna close our study and I'll have the ushers to distribute the uh, elements of communion and maybe perhaps too. If there's something that we need to repent of tonight, maybe something we need to turn to. It could be an attitude. Maybe you're having a struggle, you know, in your life, in your circumstances in some kind of way. Maybe you're having difficulty in a relationship. Let's bring these things before him, okay? Uh, I like to think we're at the communion table. And if you have an issue, you know what? Table it. Table it. Give it to the Lord. And allow Him to just bring fresh cleansing, fresh renewal. Um, just a, a new work of grace, perhaps, you know, in your life and in your experience. So the, the elements will be passed out now. We're going to sing and worship, and then we'll share together. <laughs> And I'm accepted, you were condemned, and I'm alive and well, your spirit is within me, because you died and rose again, amazing love. die for me Amazing love I know it's true It is my joy to honor you in all I do to honor you And I'm forgiven because you were forsaken and I'm accepted you were condemned and I'm alive and well your spirit is within me because you died and rose again amazing love My King would die for me. Amazing love, I know it's true. It is my joy to honor you in all I do to honor you. Jesus, you 
are my king. You are my king. Jesus, you Die for me. Amazing love, I know it's true. It is my joy to honor you in all I do. To honor you in all I do. praise you. We thank you, Lord. We thank you for the cross. That, Lord, you became broken. That you might fix broken people. Broken cultures. Lord, broken families. Broken hearts. And, Lord, we look to you tonight. And we are so thankful that we can come to you. Lord, you continually, Lord, ask us to come. And so we do that tonight. We, we come, Father, with all of our imperfections. Lord, all of our messes. All of our issues. And we thank you, Lord. There are so many things in this world and in this life we wrestle with, we struggle with that we can't reconcile or understand. But Lord, we come to you because we know you can. Lord, you can make sense out of the things that are so crazy, Lord, in our lives and in our world. So Lord, we look to you tonight. And Lord, we give to you the things, Lord, in us, in our hands, in our lives, in our minds that are broken. Lord, because you became broken, you took our place that you might impart to us your righteousness, your redemption, renewal and forgiveness, cleansing. Lord, we thank you tonight. Thank you for all that we have in Jesus. Let us share the bread together. And dear Lord, you, you invite us to share this cup the cup of the New Testament written and signed in your blood. Your very life poured out that we might have life and that we might have it, Lord, more abundantly. Lord, we may 
consider our struggles and our difficulties and all that, but Lord, what a good life we have. We're blessed. We're able to be here tonight. We're, we're thankful we have a home to go to. You provided meals and transportation for us. Lord, your care for us has been so thorough. Forgive us for our complaining tonight, dear Father. And give to us, I pray, on a continual basis, just an attitude of gratitude to always be giving thanks in spite of what might be going on or what deprivation we may have in our lives. So, Lord, we thank you that you poured out your life to give us life, an abundant life, a wonderful life. We praise you for that and help us, we pray, to live for you, Lord. To not be so controlled by our world, our culture, but to lay down our lives in service for you as you've done that for us, Lord. So I guess what we're asking for, Lord, is we're asking for resurrection power. Lord, may your resurrection power be at work within us to raise us up, to give you praise, to give you thanks, to point other people to you, just to reflect simply, Lord, who you are. So let us drink together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let's rise. <clears throat> Separate me from this world, Lord. Separate me from this world, Lord. Sanctify my life for you. Daily change me to your image. Help me bear good day you're drawing closer and every day you're drawing closer trials come to test my faith but when all is said and done
mentioned this uh, at the opening about the missions and the video for the missions. Uh, I guess I didn't. I thought I did, maybe. But uh, as far as the uh, video clip uh, for the Guatemalan trip, if you go onto the website and where it says missions, if you hit that, uh, that's where you get into the video. Okay? So God bless you. May you have an awesome week. May the Lord bless and enrich and use you for his glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.